we can honestly say nobody's ever going to see eight weeks like we're going to have. Oh, Jesus. Really? Don't threaten me, sir. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, down in New Orleans on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. Amongst other fine terrestrial affiliates, we also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, an all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, uh, last week when Donald Trump gave his long, rambling, bizarre campaign rally disguised as a press conference in the Rose Garden uh, where he mercilessly attacked Joe Biden and the Democrats from the presidential podium in a way that pretty much nobody has ever seen at a White House event before, which are, you know, normally supposed to be non-political by and large, non-partisan sort of by and large. Well, during that uh, long rambling, whatever it was, uh, he offered this somewhat vague and rambling comment or threat or warning So we have many exciting things that we'll be announcing over the next uh, eight weeks, I would say. Things that nobody has even contemplated, thought about, thought possible. Oh, boy. And things that we're going to get done. And we have gotten done. We've started in most cases. But it's going to be a very exciting eight weeks. A uh, eight weeks, like I I think, Mike, we can honestly say nobody's ever going to see eight weeks like we're going to have. Uh-oh. Because we really have, we have, uh, we're taking on immigration, taking on education, but uh, you'll see uh, things, levels of detail, and you'll see levels of thought <laughs> that a lot of people believed very strongly we didn't have in this country. We're going to get things done. Oh. We're going to get things done that they've wanted to see done oh. for a long, long time. Uh-oh. So I think we'll start sometime on Tuesday. 
Okay, well then, the things will start on Tuesday. That was last week, and in fact, this week on Tuesday, Donald Trump did, in fact, take on immigration, as he said, sort of, with an executive memo declaring declaring it to be the policy of the United States that non-citizen aliens would not be included for apportionment purposes in determining how many congressional representatives each state will have following the 2020 census. That declaration seems to be in direct conflict with the U.S. Constitution's 14th Amendment, stating pretty plainly that, quote, Representatives shall be apportioned among the several states according to their respective numbers, counting the whole number of persons in each state. But as you know, Trump has never been a big fan of the Constitution or reading closely, presuming he's ever bothered to actually read the Constitution, by the way, Desi Doyen. I don't know that he has. Indeed, and it seems curious that none of the people in his administration or in the White House have read it either because they keep trying this stuff. Well, we will have a constitutional attorney with an expertise in the census and redistricting and immigrant rights joining us here on the program to discuss that matter shortly today. As to Trump's promise there to also take on education, while I'm not entirely sure what he means by taking it on, uh, if it's more of his push to send kids back to death trap in-person classes beginning next month in the middle of a raging deadly pandemic, well, this could be eight long weeks indeed for the president. As new polls out today, new polling numbers out today shows not only that a majority of Americans oppose reopening schools for in-person classes right now, but a huge majority of Americans oppose it. Only about one in 10, one in 10 Americans think daycare centers, preschools or K through 12 schools should open this fall without very serious restrictions according to a new poll from AP and the NORC Center for Public Affairs. Most think mask requirements and other safety measures are necessary to restart any kind of in-person instruction. The findings are a sharp contrast to the picture that Donald Trump paints as he pressures schools to reopen, writes AP. The Republican president claims to have wide support for a full reopening, arguing the Democrats oppose it for political reasons. Well, few schools plan to actually return to business as usual as of now. Many of the nation's largest school districts have announced that they'll be entirely virtual in the fall, or they'll use a hybrid model that has children in classrooms only a couple of days a week. We'll see how long that lasts before kids start getting COVID and well, anyway, the poll finds only 8%, 8% of Americans say K-12 through schools should open for normal in-person instruction. <laughs> wow, that's actually less than 1 in 10. Yes. That's like 8 tenths of 1 Yes, <laughs> just 14% think they can reopen with minor adjustments, while 46% think major adjustments are needed. Another 31%, however, think instruction should not be in person at all this fall. It's uh, th Now, that's uh, among uh, parents of school age. So that was among all Americans. Among parents of school age, AP notes, 
the results are pretty much the same. The poll also shows that Americans feel the same about colleges and universities reopening this fall. I wonder if anyone has told the president. At the same time, Americans show little confidence in Trump's handling of education issues. Just 36% say they approve of Trump's performance, while 63% disapprove. Of course, there is a stark political divide on opening schools, suggesting that many Republicans are taking their cues from the president. Patty Kasbeck of Bartlesville, Oklahoma, said she desperately wants her two children ages 5 and 10, to return to school. After months at home, the family is stressed, anxious, but with the virus surging, she does not see a safe way to reopen. She says schools shouldn't even be considered right now. We need to get this under control before we play with the virus. It's just too dangerous to put our kids out there like guinea pigs. That's uh, Patty Kasbeck of Oklahoma her local school district is planning to reopen with some new safety measures, she said, but she's opting to enroll her children in a virtual school instead. Kazbek says, I just see it going very badly, and I'm very, very worried for the teachers. I'm with Kazbek there. Uh, she considers herself a Democrat. The poll finds a majority of Americans, 56%, say they are very or extremely concerned that reopening schools are going to lead to additional infections in the community. Another 24% are somewhat concerned about that. So that's 80% of Americans who are very, extremely, or somewhat concerned about doing exactly what the President of the United States is insisting they do. Some, however, see little risk. James Rivers of Ramsey, Minnesota, said schools should reopen without protective measures against the virus. Rivers, you'll be shocked to learn, is a Republican. Why are you looking at me that way, Desi? Uh, because I'm shocked <laughs> that somebody would say that. Yeah, well, he says Donald Trump is doing a, quote, fine job and uh, he will get his vote in November. I wonder if that guy has kids. Well... You may have called it there. Uh, he said, I think uh, it should be just business as usual. Yes, there is a COVID virus, he said. But is it any more deadly than the common flu? I don't think so. Rivers, and yes, you nailed it, Des. Here's the important part. He does not have school-aged children. He said parents who fear the virus can homeschool. As for everybody else who isn't afraid of a virus that has a less than 2% chance of being fatal, send your kid back to school. Let's get it done, he said. Fling yourself into the volcano. Go ahead. So uh, going by uh, Jimmy Rivers' numbers there, uh, if there are 100 kids in your school, that means two of them will die this year going to in-person classes. Would you send your kids to that school where you know that two of them are going to die? At least according to Jimmy's numbers, he would, apparently. But then again, he doesn't have school-age kids, so what does he care? Uh, for that matter, by the way, would you let Jimmy babysit your kids? <laughs> Hell no. No, I wouldn't think so. The U.S. reported more than... Oh, boy. 1,000 coronavirus-related deaths on Tuesday for the first time since May, according to the COVID-19 tracking project. Deaths from uh, COVID had slowed after months of lockdowns, but since states began reopening prematurely, as predicted, they are now moving back up again as both new infections and hospitalizations continue to surge across the country. 
The U.S. reported over 900 deaths several times last week as ICU units in Texas and Florida and other hotspots reached capacity. And the U.S. on Tuesday reported 63,000 new cases and 59,000 hospitalizations. That's the third highest total number of hospitalizations in the COVID-19 tracking projects data set. So for those who are still insisting this is all about the fact that there's more testing now, well, 59,000 hospitalizations, and that is not caused by testing. So, yes, we are going in very much in the wrong direction now in the U.S. with these uh, coronavirus numbers. And we are doing so, as CNN reports today, with astonishing speed. They note that just after 1,000 people died in a single day, the country is now about to reach 4 million COVID cases. To put that in perspective, they note the first reported case came on January 21. After 99 days, 1 million Americans became infected. 99 days for, one, for the first million. It took just 43 days after that to reach 2 million cases. And just 28 days later, on July 8, the U.S. reached 3 million cases. Now, the 4 millionth case will come just two weeks after that. Yes, wrong direction. As of Wednesday afternoon, nearly 4 million have now been confirmed as infected, though the number of infections is actually believed to be far higher than that across the U.S. And more than 142,000 have died, according to the conservative data set from Johns Hopkins University. Other tallies, for example, already show the U.S. Uh, just shy of 146,000 COVID deaths. Some states continue to report record-breaking numbers of new cases. More governors are finally now requiring masks, and at least 27 states have either halted or rolled back their reopenings to try to get a grip on the virus. For the first time in three months, Donald Trump gave a public COVID update from the White House briefing room Tuesday and said that his administration is, quote, developing a strategy. Cool. No rush, Mr. President. Hey, here's a strategy. Send all the kids back to in-person school five days a week and threaten to take away their funding for special ed students if they don't do it. That should scare the crap out of the coronavirus, Mr. President. There's a good strategy for you. Trump uh, conceded, however, on Tuesday in a rare brush with reality that the pandemic will likely get worse before it gets better echoing earlier predictions made by the CDC and pretty much everyone else. Last week, CDC director Dr. Robert Redfield said that the uh, fall and winter will likely be, quote, one of the most difficult times that we've experienced in American public health. And so, yeah, when the president of the United States warned last week, we can honestly say nobody's ever going to see eight weeks like we're going to have. I'm afraid uh, that might be the first time ever when you can believe Donald Trump. But hey, uh, with that grim news now out of the way, let's talk some politics, shall we? 
Uh, we've got state primary elections coming up in two weeks on August 4th in Arizona, Kansas, Michigan, Missouri, and Washington State. I'm hoping that you folks in those states have received and maybe even already returned your vote-by-mail ballots by now. Where allowed, of course. And while we discuss the upcoming election for governor in my old home state of Missouri on yesterday's broadcast after their idiot Republican governor, Mike Parsons, said that he was just fine with kids going back to school and getting infected and bringing that infection back home to their parents and their grandparents. Yes, Mike Parsons is on the uh, November ballot this year. We talked about that yesterday, so let's move next door to the great state of Kansas today, where we might even consider endorsing one of the nation's top GOP voter fraud fraudsters in a couple of weeks. What? Yep. That's next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Dust in the wind. Yeah. All we are is dust in the wind. You know, I love talking about the state of Kansas because we get to play that kind of music. <laughs> Some Kansas? Yeah, why not? Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Last week, we reported on Republican U.S. Congressman Steve Watkins of Kansas, who was charged last week with, uh, indicted with three felonies and one misdemeanor related to voter fraud because he used an address where he did not live a UPS store in Topeka Uh, to register to vote, and then he voted in an election where he was not, therefore, legally allowed to do so. That, of course, is the same exact thing that Donald Trump himself did when he registered to vote last year in Florida, where he does not have a legal residence. He specified Mar-a-Lago as his legal residence on the registration form, but that is a commercial club and a resort, which when he converted it from a single-family residence into a club back in 1993 after purchasing it, he signed an agreement with the town of Palm Beach that Mar-a-Lago cannot be used as a permanent residence for anybody. So that was... um, Uh, One Florida felony when he registered that way, falsely specifying a residence on the uh, voter registration application, which is not his legal residence. And then another felony when Donald Trump committed voter fraud by voting via absentee ballot in Florida earlier this year when he's not legally registered to vote here. Vote there. While uh, Congressman Watkins of Kansas has now been indicted for doing the exact same things, Donald Trump has yet to be indicted. But he absolutely, positively, legally should be indicted. And in theory, since a complaint has now been filed in Florida 
Florida law enforcement, by statute, must investigate that complaint. So I'm still waiting for that indictment of Donald Trump under state law in Florida. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to get right on that. But I digress again. Congressman Watkins uh, was charged for voter fraud in Kansas, where the state's former two-term Republican Secretary of State, Chris Kobach, had run his entire Secretary of State campaign over two terms on the premise of uh, rooting out rampant voter fraud in the state, which he said was ongoing by Democrats and, as he calls them, illegal aliens. In reality, however, after eight years in office (laughs) and even after convincing the Kansas state legislature to give him prosecutorial power as secretary of state, which no other secretary of state in the nation enjoys. Even after all of that, Kobach was able to come up with only a handful of convictions. I think it was about nine convictions, as I recall, out of about 15 cases total that he brought in those eight years out of millions and millions of votes cast. Most of those cases were like were elderly, rich, white people who owned uh, uh, more than one home. They owned a home in a neighboring state like Colorado or Missouri, and they thought that they were allowed to vote in local elections in both places. No one ever served any jail time in any of the cases as most of them did not even know that they were not allowed to vote in both places. I don't believe that he convicted a single non-citizen voter, uh, despite his claim that millions of them were voting in elections, even in Kansas. The last of the cases that he had brought were ultimately dropped by prosecutors after he left office in April of uh, 2019. The last case was dropped. Uh, following Kobach's unsuccessful bid for governor in the state in 2018, handing the governor's mansion to a Democrat for the first time in years in Kansas. And in the meantime, despite his embarrassingly failed record, Chris Kobach became one of the nation's most infamous GOP voter fraud fraudsters in the nation, at least until Donald Trump came along and sort of took that throne away from uh, from Kobach. Uh, And and though it it took several days, Kobach finally offered a comment about the indictment on voter fraud charges of a sitting U.S. congressman from Kansas. Predictably, he both downplayed it and pretended, and he knows better, he's dumb, but he ain't that dumb, he pretended it was for different charges altogether. According to Brian Lowry and Jonathan Shorman at the uh, at the Kansas City Star, Chris Kobach charged 15 people with election crimes during his tenure as Kansas' top election official. Many of the cases involved allegations similar to those now facing Kansas Republican Congressman Steve Watkins, who Kobach campaigned with in 2018. But Kobach, uh, now a Republican candidate for U.S. Senate, uh, last week uh, questioned the decision to prosecute Watkins at all. The former Kansas Secretary of State, who has repeatedly warned about voter fraud throughout his career, suggested that the matter should have been handled instead by the State Objections Board. That's a panel that includes the secretary of state, attorney general and lieutenant governor. Kobach uh, told the Kansas City Star, it's a little bit surprising that the objections process wasn't used. And instead, 
the prosecution process was used. Uh, This was his first comment on the Watkins case. But as the star notes, the objections board has little to do with Watkins case. The objections board settles disputes, for example, over whether candidates qualify for the ballot by meeting residency requirements. It does not have jurisdiction in cases of alleged voter fraud, nor does it level penalties or sanctions. Which would be very convenient right around now for Kobach's friend, Congressman Watkins, who is now facing jail time for the blatant voter fraud that Kobach does not even seem to notice here somehow. Watkins faces felony charges of voting without being qualified and unlawful advanced voting. He also faces a third felony charge for allegedly lying to a Shawnee County detective. That, of course, we know by now, however, is perfectly allowable. You're allowed to lie to detectives. Trump has granted clemency to his friend Roger Stone for lying to federal investigators in Congress and at the FBI in a major counterintelligence investigation. So surely it's legal now to lie to county detectives, isn't it? But if it's okay to, you know, to lie about counterintelligence investigations now, according to the president of the United States, surely Kobach is not happy that uh, someone lied about the things that he really cares about, that he tried to prosecute people for voter fraud, right? Kobach brought similar charges against private citizens numerous times, the paper reports, including the first three people he charged with election crimes in 2015 when he became the only secretary of state in the nation with prosecutorial power. Kobach's office filed charges uh, in October 2015 against Betty and Stephen Gatke in Johnson County and against Lincoln Wilson in Sherman County. They were charged with unlawful advanced voting and voting without being qualified. But I guess they made the mistake of not being, uh, you know, a Republican congressman and friends of Chris Kobach. Kobach's office sought misdemeanor charges for those offenses, not the felony charges that Shawnee County's Republican district attorney has now brought against Watkins. Although Kobach, his office did pursue felony election perjury charges against Wilson and others. His office conducted 12 additional prosecutions against voters, most of them on similar charges, the paper notes. The state objections board process, which Kobach suggested should have been used in Congressman Watkins' case, well, that would not have applied because the allegation is not that Watkins shouldn't appear on the ballot, it's that he voted illegally. Kobach argued in 2015 that his office required prosecutorial power because county prosecutors were lax, had taken a lax approach to pursuing cases of illegal voting. But here they pursued exactly that and charged a congressman with felonies, three felonies for it. Congressman John Carmichael, Wichita Democrat and outspoken critic of giving Kobach that power in the first place, noted the irony in his approach to the Watkins case. Carmichael said this is the very same type of conduct that he prosecuted people for. And with the finger pointed at an incumbent Republican, he has nothing to say. Now, Kobach's a GOP successor. Kansas Secretary of State Scott Schwab, uh, for the record, has crafted legislation to revoke 
the uh, prosecutorial power given to the Secretary of State. He does not want it. In the meantime, Schwab has deferred to county prosecutors and the Attorney General's Office on election crimes, as had always been the case until Kobach insisted he got the power to prosecute. Well, after losing the 2018 gubernatorial race to a Democrat, Chris Kobach is now running for statewide office again this year, and he's in a tough primary. Uh, There are 11 Republicans running for the uh, GOP nomination for the U.S. Senate on August 4th. And given what a disgraced figure this guy now is, establishment Republicans really, really hope that Kobach does not win the nomination in August. I, of course, would not mind it at all. I know a lot of Democrats are looking at flipping uh, U.S. Senate seats from red to blue in a number of other states around the country. But don't forget about Kansas, as unlikely as that may seem. After all, uh, you know, v- voters in the state just flipped the governor's mansion from red to blue when Kobach was on the Republican ticket in 2018. And given the support that seems to now be pouring in for the presumptive Democratic nominee for Senate, yeah, It could happen again in the U.S. Senate. AP reports uh, that the uh, presumed Democratic nominee for the open Senate seat in Kansas, which is being vacated by the uh, retiring Pat Roberts, the Democratic nominee raised almost $1.3 million more than the top-tier Republican candidates combined during the second quarter of the year despite a GOP candidate who also happened to loan himself $1.5 million to his own campaign during that quarter, and yet the Democrat still outpaced all the Republicans combined. Democratic State Senator Barbara Bollier's finance numbers uh, are worrying establishment Republicans right now at a time when many of them fear a new political action committee with Democratic ties could steer the GOP nomination to the polarizing so-called conservative Chris Kobach. I mean, conservative, very conservative, totally conservative. He's the most conservative in the race. He's a rock-solid, rock-ribbed, red conservative Republican, Chris Kobach, who should definitely be the nominee that Kansas Republicans can get behind with confidence. The Democratic-aligned PAC is now airing 30-second spots describing Republican rival and Western uh, Kansas Congressman Roger Marshall as, quote, fake, 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 and weak on issues important to the right, even as it calls Chris Kobach too conservative. Republicans for Senate. Chris Kobach, he's too conservative. Kobach won't compromise on building a wall or getting tough on China. And Roger Marshall's a phony. After backing a Mitt Romney-like candidate for president, he's been soft on Trump and weak on immigration. Marshall's been both for and against the wall. He went easy on China, but now talks tough. Roger Marshall, fake, fake, fake. Sunflower State is responsible for the content of this ad. So, uh, Kobach, uh, he's too uh, he's too conservative. He's too conservative yeah. for Kansas. All you conservative Kansans, you know, don't don't choose this guy who's so conservative. Don't. Uh, well, he's uh, yeah. Don't choose Marshall. He's fake. The other guy, Kobach, he's too conservative. And of course, the spot is uh, not unlike uh, the ads that were run by former Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill in Missouri next door before the 2012 GOP primary. 
against then-Republican uh, Congressman Todd Akin, who was described as just too conservative. And in the bargain, he won the nomination, and then Claire McCaskill easily defeated him. So, uh, yeah, Barbara Bollier here uh, is is uh, making money now hand over fist, bringing in uh, tons of cash to her campaign. Um and uh, Kansas Republicans are quite worried. The uh, party chair, state party chair, Mike Cuckelman, said you have to be concerned when you see that kind of money flowing into our state for a Democrat. Bollier's spokesperson uh, noted that the Democrats' numbers represent an enormous advantage after the August 4 primary and show Bollier is prepared for the fall campaign. The Republicans simply are not, she said. Roger Marshall, the fake, fake, fake Roger Marshall, uh, has uh, become the GOP establishment's choice in an 11-person field. Uh, But I do think real Republican conservatives should not stand for that. The GOP rhino establishment cucks who are coming in trying to choose your candidate for you. Don't let that happen, conservatives. Kobach for Senate. A real conservative for Kansas. (laughs) How dare they come in here and try to, uh, Mitch McConnell, try to decide who should uh, be uh, the the candidate. By the way, Barbara Bollier uh, made herself famous when she uh, left the Republican Party at the end of, uh, I think it was 2018, when she couldn't stand Donald Trump and the Trumpy Republicans in the state anymore. Uh, So, yeah, could be an interesting race in Kansas. And while we do not usually do endorsements here on the broadcast, much less for uh, GOP voter fraud fraudsters. Yeah. Kobach for Senate. And speaking of Kobach, you know, he's famous for two things. Well, maybe three, if you include being a loser. Uh, His voter fraud fraud is one thing and being a staunch anti-immigrant activist. He, He wrote the papers, please, law for Arizona that was eventually struck down by the U.S. Supreme Court. And, of course, the Kansas Papers, Please law that required voters to present proof of citizenship when registering to vote. That, too, was struck down. But now Kobach's got a friend in the White House who's picked up his uh, anti-immigration ball. And that story is next with Tom Wolfe of the Brennan Center as Donald Trump issues yet another pretend order on immigration. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. They used to. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come into America. Yes, they do. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Does he remember when they used to play that every year, 4th of <laughs> July, during the fireworks? Oh, yes. It was very patriotic. Immigrants coming from all over the world to America. We were so proud of that. You don't hear that song very much anymore on July 4th, do yeah, you? Yeah, not so much. For some reason disappointing. All right. Welcome back. As I said, President Donald Trump signed an executive memorandum on Tuesday, not an executive order, but a memorandum 
It's still unclear if he either realizes that or even knows the difference between the two. Nonetheless, that memo seeks to bar people in the U.S. illegally from being counted in congressional reapportionment, a move that drew immediate criticism from Democratic officials and constitutional law experts alike. As you may recall, last year, the U.S. Supreme Court blocked the administration's effort to add a citizenship question to the 2020 census form with a five to four majority led by conservative Chief Justice John Roberts, saying that the administration's rationale for the citizenship question supposedly to help enforce the Voting Rights Act, bizarrely enough, appeared to be a contrived pretext meant to hide the fact that a longtime GOP gerrymandering and redistricting operative who had since died had been advising Republicans to find a way to avoid counting aliens, documented or otherwise, in the decennial census as that would allow state redistricting that would result in a shift of voting power from diverse, Democratic-leaning urban centers to white, rural, Republican voters. Trump said in his Tuesday memorandum that, quote, for the purpose of the reapportionment of congressional representatives following the 2020 census, it is the policy of the United States to exclude from the apportionment base aliens who are not in a lawful immigration status under the Immigration and Nationality Act to the maximum extent feasible and consistent with the discretion delegated to the executive branch. Adding that he had determined, quote, respect for the law and protection of the integrity of the democratic process warrant the exclusion of illegal aliens from the apportionment base. Opponents of the citizenship question last year said it would discourage participation by immigrants and residents who are in the country illegally, resulting in inaccurate figures for a count that determines the distribution of some $675 billion in federal spending and how many congressional districts each state gets. Trump's efforts to add the citizenship question had drawn fury and backlash from critics who, who alleged that it was intended to discourage participation in the survey, not only by people living in the country illegally, but also by citizens who fear that participating would expose non-citizen family members to repercussions. Trump's Tuesday memo has drawn a similar reaction and, yes, more legal challenges. The administration was already facing a lawsuit challenging the underlying citizenship data project that would fuel this new policy. That project was enacted last year by the administration after their Supreme Court defeat. In that case, the groups suing the administration, Asian Americans Advancing Justice and the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund, told the court on Wednesday that they will be expanding their lawsuit to target the administration's newly announced policy as well. The filing says that plaintiffs allege that this exclusion from apportionment intends to discriminate and will result in discrimination against these groups. Accordingly, plaintiffs give notice that they intend to seek leave of court to amend their complaint to include new allegations and claims. So the legal battles against the Trump administration's political immigration policies continue, but... 
for a president who claimed that this measure on Tuesday is meant to show, quote, respect for the law. Donald Trump seems to have forgotten about the first law of the land. That would be the U.S. Constitution, which states pretty clearly in Section 2 of its 14th Amendment that, quote, Congressional representatives shall be apportioned among the several states according to their respective numbers, counting the whole number of persons in each state. It says nothing about citizens in each state. As a matter of law, even William Barr appears to agree that this memo is a non-starter, or at least he appears to have agreed Back in 1989, the last time he served as attorney general, then under George Bush Sr., when in response to a query from then U.S. Senator Jeff Bingaman of uh, New Mexico regarding the constitutionality of proposed legislation at the time that would exclude undocumented aliens from the 1990 census, Barr's own Office of Legislative Affairs wrote, quote, The Department of Justice has taken the position that Section 2 of the 14th Amendment, which provides for counting the whole number of persons in each state and the original apportionment and census clauses of Article 1, Section 2 of the Constitution, require that inhabitants of states who are illegal aliens be included in the census counting. In our review of this issue to date, Barr's office wrote back in 1989, we have found no basis for reversing this position. Now, our friend Justin Levitt, former DOJ official and Loyola Law School professor, tweeted yesterday uh, citing that uh, memo from 1989. He said, to be clear, 1989, William Barr was right. Before he added, of course, everyone should be prepared for the argument that the framers of the Constitution changed their mind after 1989. Joining us now to find out if, in fact, the framers of the Constitution might have changed their mind after 1989 is constitutional attorney Thomas Wolfe. He is senior counsel and Spitzer Fellow with the Brennan Center for Justice's Democracy Program at NYU, where he focuses on the census and redistricting and advises civil rights, immigrant rights, and good government groups on litigation strategy and legal policy. Tom Wolf, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, so first, uh, do you concur with uh, Justin Levitt, who, uh, citing that 1989 DOJ memo, uh, said that if Congress, with the express power to enforce the 14th Amendment, can't change the obvious text of the Constitution, the president, with no such power, sure can't do it? I agree fully. Uh, the memorandum that President Trump issued yesterday assumes that President Trump has the power to decide who counts and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for him, but fortunately for the rest of the country, <laughs> the Constitution has already made that decision for him, and the Constitution decided that all people count. Now, e even though the 14th Amendment does seem pretty clear here in requiring the persons in each state, excluding Indians not taxed uh, to be counted. It, it seems pretty specific there. Trump's memo, however, argues that, quote, the Constitution does not specifically define which persons must be included in the apportionment base before going on to argue that the requirement has never been understood to include in the apportionment base every individual physically present with a state's, within a state's boundaries. At the time of the census, he uh, cites that 
uh, foreigners who are only temporarily in the U.S., such as for business or tourism, that they are not counted, that certain foreign diplomatic personnel are um, persons who have been excluded from the apportionment base in past census, uh, censuses. And therefore, the discretion delegated to the executive branch allows him to qualify to decide who qualifies as an inhabitant to be counted. He seems to be trying to pre-butt the arguments against this. Does does he have a legal basis for that? Uh, I think he protests too much. The memorandum is not worth the paper it's printed on. The Constitution's plain text is very clear. Every person counts. Persons means persons, and persons means everyone. That means that everyone is to be counted. President Trump is essentially asking not just courts ultimately, but the American people to disregard what their own eyes will tell them if they log on to Google and read the text of the 14th Amendment on the Internet. Uh, additionally, it has been the practice of the census to count everyone now for centuries. And one of the key touchstones for the Supreme Court when it's interpreting law is not just the plain text, but mm-hmm. the court reminded us very recently this term in opinions from Justice Gorsuch that the plain text is important, but also that historical practice is very important for understanding what the Constitution means. And uh, the court, in its citizenship question opinion, noted that it would not accept an interpretation of the law that would make every census dating back centuries unconstitutional. But that's precisely what President Trump is trying to do here. Now, the 14th Amendment, uh, as Slate's Mark Joseph Stern argues, was specifically adopted, in fact, to strike down the three-fifths of a person clause that was originally included in the Constitution to count slaves as only three-fifths of a person in the census. Wouldn't Trump's directive go directly against what the 14th Amendment was actually intending to clarify. Well, first, is is that true? Is that your understanding of the 14th Amendment? And would it go against that very idea that all persons should be fully counted when determining apportionment? The 14th Amendment was part of the Reconstruction Amendments that were designed to try to eliminate uh, some of the many barriers that were placed on black people in this country as a result of their enslavement. Mm-hmm. The 14th Amendment eliminated the three-fifths clause to make sure that all people who were formerly enslaved were counted as full people. Trump is not only, in that sense, attempting to undo that progress, but he's actually trying to do something that is even worse than what the three-fifths clause did. Because the three-fifths clause told a specific class of people that they were only 60% of a person. Mm -hmm. What this new order proposes is that there are millions of people in this country who are not people at all. (laughs) It is a fundamental act of dehumanizing, Mm -hmm. in addition to being unconstitutional. Uh, Yeah, they're not even three-fifths. They're zero percent of a human being, apparently. Uh, Now, even if there is some kind of legitimacy uh, to Trump's policy, and and Tom Wolf, you seem to be making clear there is not, but let's presume for a second that there is. Somehow he gets his stolen U.S. Supreme Court to go along with this. Can any of this actually, you know, practically be sorted out, frankly, either in legal terms or simply in practical terms, figuring out how many undocumented aliens there actually are before, uh, by law, Trump has to turn over the census apportionment data to Congress? I think it's within a week of January 3, 2021. Um, You're right uh, from the top that there is no legitimacy to this order, but like 
assuming that they're attempting to move forward with it anyway, there are a couple of key things that are uh, huge hurdles for them. One is that the president is required to use information derived from the census itself mm-hmm. uh, when passing along the numbers for the apportionment to Congress. Where are the numbers? It's all guesswork. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not a citizenship question on the census. Even if there were, it's not accurate. The administration uh, is essentially claiming that at some point it will come up with the numbers. Show me the numbers. My strong guess, and I'm highly certain I'll be right about this, is that whatever they come up with is going to be pure guesswork, and guesswork is not part of uh, an actual enumeration that the Constitution requires. Um, that's going to be a massive problem for implementing this. But there's, a, there's another issue, which is the consequences of them attempting to do this, because all President Trump is pretending to do now is to essentially erase a couple of numbers in a column of a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. He's talking about numbers. Let's talk about people. Regardless of what those spreadsheets ultimately show, everyone that is in this country, living here in this country, will still be here the day after those numbers come out. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why it's important to have an accurate census. As you noted at the top, it determines how we divide up political power, not just at the congressional level, but all the way down to the local level. Maybe more importantly, in, in a way that people can really concretely understand is that these census numbers are used to divvy up, at this juncture, $1.5 trillion mm. in federal funding, and surely only to rise as we face all the different challenges we face with uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. So that money gets spent on things like food assistance, health care, transportation, and education. Even if Trump changes the numbers, it's not going to change the fact that communities all around this country have within them people who are undocumented, and they are full members of that society. They pay taxes. They make use of services. Their children are in the schools. That is an unignorable reality. The only thing that people are doing when they try to eliminate non-citizens from the count is shoot themselves in the foot, because their communities are not going to get the funding that their communities need Mm -hmm. to support all of the people who live there one way or another. Yeah, I mean, whether a, 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 an alien is documented or not, they still use the same roads and they still need, uh, you know, that money to, to repair the roads from that use. And so erasing them somehow would, would actually seems to harm the, the people who are most interested in erasing these numbers in that sense. But you mentioned, uh, Tom, that this is just, you know, a, a matter of removing a, a, a column of numbers from the spreadsheet. Uh, as I understand it, there is no such column. They didn't use that question. Uh, that question was uh, about sense, uh, citizenship was nixed by the Supreme Court. Uh, I mentioned this citizenship data project that the administration announced right after they had lost at the uh, at SCOTUS on that. Do, what, is that the column of numbers that you're talking about? What Did you understand what that project, that citizenship, citizenship data project actually is and how it's supposed to work? Well, um, yeah, the project is basically an attempt to figure out the citizenship status of every person in the country by looking at records that the federal government and state governments have uh, that may indicate citizenship status. The government's been struggling to get together all of the records that it would need and even if it got all of those records, it's highly doubtful it would be able to produce a file that's reliable. I think notably in that executive, or excuse me, the memo that came mm-hmm. out yesterday, there was no description at all of where the numbers were coming from. You would think that if they were planning to use the uh, citizen voting age population file, which is the file that they've been working on for a while, mm-hmm. they would have mentioned it. 
they don't. So at this moment, there are claims being made by uh, the Trump administration that they're going to somehow adjust the census numbers on the basis of numbers that don't exist. <laughs> we don't have any methodology to explain how they're pretending to put them together, and we likely never will. And so all that does is turn the census into a giant mystery box, because functionally, what the president is asking the Bureau to do, which is also unprecedented, just kind of from a the basic choreography of how the apportionment process works. Mm-hmm. Normally, this is the way it's supposed to work. The Census Bureau, which is run by career professional statisticians, mm-hmm. develops an honest count for the population of every state, and they write it down. Mm-hmm. They give it to the Commerce Department. Commerce Department, usually the Secretary of uh, Commerce, and the Bureau Director have a press conference where they explain what the numbers are. They send them off to the White House. White House looks at the numbers runs them through the calculation that gives you the apportionment, and they send the certificate to Congress. No numbers get changed in that process. What President Trump is asking to do uh, is for the Census Bureau to create the true count and then also provide him estimates, guesswork, Mm. about how many non-citizens are in each state so that he can take the two numbers and subtract one from the other and then say, these are the real numbers, the ones that I've figured out here with my calculator. That doesn't happen. <laughs> no, and and I'm wondering, I mean, with all of that guesswork and, and based on, again, based on a, a, a pretext, essentially, claiming that, oh, because the rule of law demands it, we've got to you know not count certain people. How is this? I mean, I presume this is going to find its way somehow or another, if he actually carries this out, uh, find its way to the Supreme Court at some point where it will come before John Roberts, who previously said, hey, I might have let you do this, add this citizenship question. But you guys were clearly making up phony reasons that you wanted to to add this question. Is 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 the hope here for somehow a quick thumbs up? from SCOTUS somehow from the same Supreme Court that, you know, said, no, you you didn't do this the right way before? Are they, are, are, are they assuming that somehow John Roberts is going to change his mind? It's going to be cool with, with this plan? Well, the kind of odd thing about this memorandum that I think, you know, kind of ultimately drives home the point for everyone who's listening now is that This plan is so patently unconstitutional, it's astonishing to me that any practicing lawyer would support it. And it may be that the administration understands that, and that the ultimate point actually isn't to carry it out. It's just to create confusion Mm -hmm. about the consequences of getting counted. Mm -hmm. All the headlines that are coming out are already saying things like, President Trump excludes non-citizens from the count. First of all, he doesn't have the power to do it. Mm -hmm. Second of all, the memorandum didn't do it. However... I could see in uh, communities, particularly with non-citizens, people saying, well, why, why should I get counted now? Because it's ultimately I'm not going to count. And that creates the same sort of suppressive effect on the count. Uh, that's something like the citizenship question, mm. just by different means. And so when we're talking about this scheme, obviously lawyers are already in court, as you mentioned. Um, Baldef, AJC are litigating over this issue. There's also work going on down in Alabama Mm -hmm. around the constitutional question. The lawyers will get in the mix and handle things, but there's also something that everyone at home can do to fight back against this, which is get counted. You can get counted online, Mm -hmm. 2020census.gov. You can go to 2020census.gov and also look up phone numbers if you prefer to uh, deliver 
your results over the phone. They service uh, callers in, I think at this point, about 16 major languages. Mm-hmm. Or if you haven't sent your paper form back yet, you can do that too. In the next couple of weeks, enumerators are going to start coming door to door to pick up your forms. But, you know, COVID is complicating things, and some people yeah. don't like government agents coming to their doors. So fill out your form, send it back. So, count it, that's how we push back against this. Yeah, so you have, if you haven't filled that out, again, go to 2020census.gov. Tom, I've got just a, a minute or two here very quickly. Will this affect uh, in any way the uh, state's own redistricting plans next year? Some, I believe, have said that they are not going to count non-citizens when they're creating congressional and legislative maps after the 2020 census? Does this uh, presidential memo uh, help or hurt their cause or have any effect on that whatsoever at this time? Uh, this, this memo is going down. It's not going to result in anything useful for anyone to use. So if that's what folks are hoping to do, I think that they're going to find their uh, hopes and dreams are shattered. <laughs> so uh, is there anything then to this action beyond sort of a twisted dog whistle to Trump's racist base voters or is the real attempt like you say to just suppress the count uh somehow overall uh maybe one in the same because suppressing the count along um lines based on people's immigration status plays into racist and uh, xenophobic interests so it may be that those things are one in the same well then i guess mission accomplished the president last week announced uh Eight very exciting weeks when he was going to be taking on immigration and taking on education. I guess this was the uh, immigration portion. Uh, Seems to be pretty toothless overall, but uh, you're right. It could ultimately have an effect if people fail to fill out the census. Go to 2020census.gov. Thomas Wolfe is the Spitzer Fellow with the Brennan Center's Democracy Program. You can, of course, find their important work at brennancenter.org. And you can have it out with Tom yourself on the Twitters at Tom. T.M. Wolf. Thomas Wolf, really appreciate you joining us today on the broadcast, sir. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thank you. Okay, I know I'm late, so <laughs> thank you, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. And that is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. That's it. We'll see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>